Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name's David Lee and this is the third episode in the Case Files podcast series. In the Case Files, we look back at notable court cases over the last 150 years and discover how Brodies lawyers through the ages have played their part in key legal moments. In each episode, we talk to Brodie's modern-day legal experts to discover how their predecessors helped shape the way the law is applied today. So welcome to episode three of The Case Files, For Want of a Nail. In this episode, we look at the limits of foreseeability in the duty of care owed to neighbours, and I'm joined by two Brodie's lawyers, partner Craig Watt and associate David Ford. The Case Files series focuses on Brodie's advocacy team, after a centuries-old case in episode two, McLean versus Gatti, this case brings us into more recent history, the 1970s and 80s, and the case of Maloco versus Littlewoods Organisation Limited. Brodie's acted for the unfortunate Mr. Angelo Maloco, owner of the well-known Maloco's Cafe in Dunfermline, which was next door to the Regal Cinema in the historic Five Town. Littlewoods had bought the cinema to demolish it and build a store on the site, and work had been undertaken to strip the cinema of its seats and other fittings to prepare for that demolition. However, before the cinema could be demolished, it was destroyed by fire. The blaze also damaged Mr Maloco's cafe and the wooden turret of nearby St Paul's Church and the ventilator shaft inside it. The legal question was about Littlewood's responsibility for the damage caused to the neighbouring properties. Did the presence of local youths on the site make vandalism and fire reasonably foreseeable? And should Littlewoods have taken steps to avoid that happening? The case has been referred to in the English High Court as recently as 2020 and in the Supreme Court in June 2021. Ultimately, it's an important human rights case about duty of care regarding antisocial behaviour of third parties and potential threats to neighbours. So welcome, Craig and David. Craig, first of all, some listeners might be surprised to hear of this idea of old cinemas being demolished uh, because we want to preserve the old cinemas now. But I guess we're talking about a period where lots of town centres were in decline, cinemas were being demolished, everybody was into home video and a night at the pictures was over. It was the days before the multiplex. So can you paint a picture of the, you know, what Dunfermline was like at the time and, and the fire that led to this case? Sure. Thanks, David. Uh, well, yeah, the, the Regal Cinema was very much a feature on the high street in Dunfermline. It opened in 1931 during the boom of cinemas. And indeed, throughout that period, you know, many local towns in Scotland had their own cinema. You wouldn't have had to go into the big cities or the retail parks. It was very much a different age where people would be expect to be entertained in their own vicinity of where they lived. Um, so each of them had their own thriving cinemas on the high street, and this Dunfermline was no no different with the Regal Cinema. Um, that was opened, in, as I say, in 1931, but it had its last showing in late May 1976 and changed hands to Littlewood's organisation on the 31st of May of that year. So um, the intention was that that was going to be um, knocked down and changed into a little wood store um, and uh, that that was at the point in time this unfortunate event took hold. Okay so when when did the fire happen and can you explain a bit about the geography about where the cinema was in relation to the kind of cafe and the church? 
Sure. Um, well, that's that's right. So the, the the fire took hold on the fifth of July, nineteen seventy six. So very shortly after the, um, the the cinema had changed hands and before the the, the works were carried out to change it into a, a retail unit, um, the Regal Cinema and ultimately the Littlewood Store were were adjacent to uh, Mister Maloko's cafe. They separated by a, a close that ran down one side of the cinema. Uh, Mister Maloko's cafe was. Um, you know, a popular feature on the high street. It was a bit of an institution in Fife and certainly in Dunfermline. Uh, it also contained a billiards hall, which was which is popular in the area. Uh, not only that, but in the, the vicinity of the cinema was also the uh, St Paul's Church, which was um, slightly further away down on the opposite side of the close. Um, and that both of these institutions were um, impacted by the fire that took hold on the 5th of July, 1976. And what was kind of happening on the around the site at the time, Craig? Were, were the problems with kind of youths uh, sort of gathering in the, in the empty building? Yes, uh, it, it was well known in the local area that vandals were entering the cinema. There were, there were um, fences around the cinema trying to protect it as it was undergoing the construction works necessary to change it from a cinema into the retail unit. Um, these um, fences displayed signs which um, alerted those who were interested in the development to contact uh, the, 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 con- the contractors who were carrying out the renovations if they had any concerns about the, 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 the renovations or anyone accessing the area, presumably, which ultimately is what took place. But those in the local area saw that vandals were entering the cinema. There were old films strewn in the adjacent close, um, and that people could see that uh, the, the Regal Cinema was being accessed. It was, you know, in a state of construction, so it wasn't completely secure. So there were some wooden um, sheets on the sides of the cinema, which were being prized open to allow vandals to enter. So it was it was widely known that the cinema was being accessed. But what didn't happen was that wasn't reported to those carrying out the construction works or indeed Littlewoods themselves. So um, witnesses had seen it, but that hadn't been passed on to those who were actually carrying out the works or those who were now in uh, holding title to the, the, the cinema. OK, and before we get into the implications, finally with you, Craig, what about the what, what was the level of damage caused to uh, the Maloko's Cafe and and to the church? And, uh, you know, how did both of them then get involved in the subsequent court case? Sure. Well, um, the the damage was quite extensive. The cafe and billiard hall was, as I indicated, on the opposite side of the close to the cinema. So there was extensive damage to the um, cafe and billiards hall, but also the, the, the church, which was slightly further away, um, but again, on the same side of the close, um, th- that was damaged quite extensively. Um, indeed, the St Paul's Church had been in place for some 100 years before the fire took hold. And ultimately, the church had to um, you know, move to another uh, location. Indeed, they moved, I think, to um, the Congregational Church and the United Reformed Church on Canmore Street in Dunfermline. And they were based there for around 25 years after the fire. But um, so each of the Maloko's Cafe and Billiards Hall and St Paul's Church is represented by the minister, Reverend Frank Smith, the session clerk and the clerk of the deacon's court brought an action against Littlewood's organisation to seek the costs 
of the repair works necessary to carry out the renovations to their uh, damaged buildings. Okay, so this is this is quite a serious fire in Dunfermline. This was obviously quite a big story at the time. So, so David, where did where did Brodie's come in? At what point did Brodie's uh, join this story? Um, so Brodie's joined the the story on behalf of Christopher Local. We we represented him in the the court proceedings, and and as you say said already, his cafe uh, was next door to the disused cinema. Unfortunately, we don't have any uh, records any longer from that time. The case was ultimately determined by the courts over 35 years ago, and law firms only keep records for around 10 years. I think obviously, as Craig has set out, we know that Mr Maloko raised an action against Littlewoods, as did the church. And because they arose out of the same fire, uh, the cases were heard together uh, throughout the various court procedures that they, they went through. And in both cases, it was being claimed that Littlewoods had been negligent as they had failed to take reasonable care for the safety of the adjoining buildings. Okay, so that so that was the that was basically the legal argument. How um, how long did it take the uh, the case to come to court? First of all, was it about the mid eighties or something like that after the fire in nineteen seventy six? Um, so the, the first hearing in the case um, was, was back in 1982, which was, a, in essence, a, a legal debate uh, about the relevancy of the case. There was then a, an evidential trial, uh, which occurred in, the, I think, in 1986, before that was appealed uh, to Scotland's uh, equivalent to the Court of Appeal known as the Inner House. Uh, and after the decision was handed down by the Inner House, it was appealed again, this time to the House of Lords, which has now been replaced by the Supreme Court. Um, so there was a, a, a lot of procedure in the case, and it spent many years uh, in, in the Scottish courts. And on what points of law did the case uh, you know, hinge, David? We've talked a little bit about it, about reasonable foreseeability and so on. And how was the final decision in the case reached? So, so in essence, it was claimed that Littlewood should have known that vandals would enter the disused building and cause a fire which might spread to neighbouring properties. And that they ought, that's, that's Littlewoods, ought to have made their premises secure, including by carrying out regular inspections. So the argument that was put forward on behalf of Mr Maloko uh, was in essence that an unoccupied cinema was, was going to be attractive to young people. And if it was not secured, those young people would, would gain entry somehow uh, and would do so repeatedly uh, and, and in increasing numbers. And that once inside, those young people, they'd be out of view and they'd be unchecked. And it was argued uh, on behalf of Mr Maloka that well, such young people are likely going to include amongst them at least one or two vandals and that vandalism is a well-known occurrence uh, and fire raising is a frequent form of vandalism. It's also well known that fire raising by vandals occurs in empty premises, such as the cinema owned by Littlewoods. And it was suggested that the cinema contained various materials suitable for starting fires, meaning that fire could take hold of the fabric of the building and spread to the adjoining premises. Uh, and it could therefore, and should therefore, have reasonably been foreseen by Littlewoods that vandals' intent on fire raising were, were likely to enter the cinema. So that, in a nutshell, is the how, how matters were presented on behalf of, behalf of Mr Maloko and the church. And having painted that picture, uh, one of the judges in the House of Lords uh, referred to this argument as being seductive and said that it reminded him of the fable of the prince who lost his kingdom, but for the want of a nail for the shoe of his horse, hence the title of this podcast. So in other words, what the argument was, um, was that there was a series of foreseeable possibilities, which, when you add them all together, result in the probability of a fire which Littlewood should have been guarding against. 
Now, whilst Littlewoods did accept that they owed a duty to take care for the safety of the adjoining properties, such as Mr Maloko's cafe, the question that was actually before the court was whether that included a duty to maintain the security of their building so as to prevent or minimise the risk of an authorised entry by vandals and whether that risk to adjoining premises uh, or properties could and should have been foreseen by them. Um, so in, in response, Littlewoods argued in the courts that well, they had no knowledge that their property was insecure or that there had been previous unauthorised entry to it. There was nothing in the nature or construction of the, the cinema or in its contents that was particularly inflammable or alluring to persons intending to set fire to buildings and that it was not anticipated that any damage would arise to the building, let alone to neighbouring properties. And they also added that there was no special relationship between Littlewoods and those who started the fire that would have alerted Littlewoods to the risk of a fire as being something that that could reasonably foreseeably happen. Okay, so then, so then, how did the uh, how did the courts take these arguments on board? Then, David, where did uh, where where did the decision fall in the end? In the end, the House of Lords decided that there was no duty on Littlewoods or indeed on occupiers in general to take reasonable care to prevent others from entering their property. And the reason for that really is because to do so really imposes an unreasonable burden on ordinary householders and property owners, and it would be an unreasonable curb on their ordinary enjoyment of their property. It was also considered that to do so would be contrary to long-standing principles of, of the law of negligence. And put bluntly, it was frankly a step too far to say that a fire being caused by youths was something that was reasonably foreseeable, um, just as it as it could not be said that the absence of a nail on a horse's shoe would likely cause the king to lose his kingdom. Okay. And 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 why is the case so influential, David? Why has this been, uh, you know, a case that has kind of resonated for the last few decades? As you say, despite being a case from 1985, it's, it's still being relied upon today, uh, both north and south of the border. Uh, in essence, what Maloko establishes is an important limit on the duty that is owed by neighbours um, or those who have a relationship of proximity um, by reference to what can be reasonably foreseen uh, when damage has been caused by a third party. Okay. And what about some some specific cases that have uh, relied on Maloko since, in, in particularly in recent years? Yeah, there's, there, there's certainly plenty to pick from, but some particularly notable cases include, there's the case of Mitchell against Glasgow City Council, which was a, a Scottish House of Lords case. This one was from 2009. Uh, in that case, a claim was raised by a family of a man, Mr. Mitchell, uh, who had been sadly killed by his neighbour. Uh, both Mr. Mitchell and the neighbour were tenants of Glasgow City Council. Uh, the neighbour had previously used an iron bar to batter down Mr. Mitchell's door and smash his windows uh, after Mr. Mitchell asked him to turn down the volume on his television. Uh, the the neighbour had since then repeatedly threatened Mr. Mitchell, as well as other residents in the building. Uh, and about seven years after the incident with the iron bar, uh, the council called a meeting with this neighbour and basically told him that they're going to seek to repossess his property. And the neighbour lost his temper at that meeting, but did later calm down and apologise to the to the council members. However, after the meeting, uh, the neighbour returned home and he tragically fatally assaulted Mr Mitchell. So what his family tried to say was that, well, the council had a duty to warn Mr Mitchell of the risk that the neighbour would resort to violence, given the purpose of the meeting was to advise him of their intention to evict him. And the House of Lords agreed to apply the uh, approach adopted in the Maloko case from, from 1985 um, as the problem did relate to harm which had been caused by a third party's wrongdoing or alleged wrongdoing. 
Um, so here the court decided that the council could only be held responsible if the situation was one where the law should regard the council as under responsibility to take care to protect Mr Mitchell from the risk of violence by the neighbour. And in answering that question, the, judge the judges decided that it wasn't enough to rely on whether the actions of the neighbour were foreseeable. It also had to be fair, just and reasonable that the council should be held responsible for the admission to warn Mr Mitchell. And in all of the circumstances, uh, the judges came to the conclusion it was not. So Mr Mitchell's family failed in their claim. Okay. So, yeah, David, and, and I think there's one other case in particular which uh, relates back to Maloko and also has some real parallels as well. Uh, yes, David. Um, it's the case of Rushbond uh, PLC against JS Design Partnership uh, with the Court of Appeal uh, handing down a decision in this on the 14th of December 2021. And the facts really are uh, incredibly analogous with Maloko. In, the, in this case, an architect had carried out an inspection of an unoccupied cinema on behalf of a potential purchaser. That the property being owned by the party bringing this claim. Um, later, the same evening following the architect's inspection, uh, there was a fire at the property which has caused extensive damage. And it was alleged that the intruders had entered the building through an unlocked door left by the architect during his visit, which then led to them starting the fire. It was claimed that the architect had breached his duty of care to the claimant and claimant owner in respect of the security of the building. The defendant's case was that it did not owe a duty of care to protect the claimant against damage caused by the actions of an unknown party for whom it was not responsible. Uh, the first judge to hear the case, sitting in the High Court of England and Wales, struck the case out and she decided that the architect did not owe a duty of care to the owner of the property, as he neither created the source of the fire nor provided the means by which it started. The Court of Appeal has now disagreed with the decision of the first judge and has decided that there is at the very least an arguable case um, so there will be an evidential trial fixed uh, to have a full ventilation of all the facts before a final decision is made. I think this really shows that Maloko remains very highly relevant today. It's still the subject of argument in the courts, uh, both both north and south of the border. Mm. And and that youths will still go into uh, empty buildings and set them on fire, potentially. So, Craig, um, let's go back. Let's go back now. Having heard of that, that modern day case with those quite incredible parallels, what happened next in Dunfermline? You told us about the church that actually went to a different premises. But what actually happened to the old cinema building and what happened to Mr Maloko's cafe? Sure. Uh, well, <clears throat> the, the cinema was eventually turned into a Littlewood store, and I, I think that stayed open till about 2000 and was a feature on the high street until then in Dunfermline. Um, as those of us who would have frequented Littlewood stores over the year, they'll know that um, there's not that many, if any, left in the UK. And uh, what is now based in the old site is uh, Primark, which is a feature on uh, high streets across the UK. Uh, so so that, that's what happened to the site where the fire took hold. As you've indicated, the, the church moved its uh, congregation just down the street and remained there for another 25 years. Um, the cafe and billiard room, Mr Maloko's cafe and billiard room, that, that, that reopened, I think, fairly quickly after the fire, um, probably as it required less work to carry out the repairs um, and thankfully it did because we know that the snooker player Stephen Hendry, one of Scotland's finest sportsmen, was allowed to play in Mr Maloko's uh, billiard hall 
despite being under 14, uh, they had a, a, a rule within uh, the billiard hall that you were only able to play within there if you were over 14. But Mr Maloko decided that Stephen Henry was going to be allowed to play there. And thankfully he did because he then went on to win multiple world titles. Um, Mr Mr Maloko and his wife lived above the, the cafe and they eventually sold the cafe in the billiard hall in 1985. Um, but the Maloko name is still a feature on the high street uh, in Dunfermline and we know that his grandson now owns and runs Maloko and Co estate agents in Dunfermline and indeed one of our trainees um, is or, or went to school with uh, Mr Maloko's uh, great granddaughter. So uh, that, that's what happened to the, the, the parties involved in the dispute uh, and you know it's resonating still to this day thank you very much uh craig and david for those those great insights uh in episode three of the case files for want of a nail uh the case files is part of podcast by brodies uh, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those might mean for organizations businesses and individuals across the uk if you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all the main podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com.